at SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. We stay with uh, word domination, but this time we're going to the words of uh, an artist and the words about an artist. The artist's name is Amrita Shergil. She was an artist of both Indian and Hungarian descent who died in the early 1940s at the age of 28. Now, her work, in particular her paintings in India, is a striking, or were a striking feminist commentary on the patriarchy of the time. I didn't know about this artist, and many people, although they do, may not also. So we thought it might be some value of us learning something new and uh, about an artist who was making a huge difference in the world of art at the time. Shogil is a powerful representation of the North-South debate, which we've discussed here on the show most recently, even yesterday, when we spoke about the impact of African creativity globally. So... The reason I raise this is because the Johannesburg Contemporary Art Foundation, the JCAF, are doing a series of lectures. They're called the School of the South Lecture Series, focusing on three female artists and really focusing on three artists that represent the South, as we've discussed it before. Frida Kahlo, of course, uh, then also Irma Stern from South Africa, and Amrita Shergil from India, or also originally from Hungary as well. On the line we have the lecturer who gave the lecture on Frida Kahlo, not Frida Kahlo, on Shergil. Sonal Kula is a, a lecturer and associate professor of South Asian Studies in the Department of History of Art at the University of Pennsylvania, and she gave a fascinating discussion around who this artist was and why she's important in the world of arts and ultimately the broader world as well. So now thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. Let's talk very briefly to uh, the importance of an artist like Amrit Shergil. Ironically, she's almost a representation in her very self of the North-South debate owing to her own heritage. Yes, I think that that is definitely how the work has been uh, received in the 21st century. Uh, it has the reception of her work has changed quite a bit. I, as I uh, mentioned in my lecture on Thursday, since the 20th century, when she was uh, well known as an Indian artist as part of a national canon, uh, but international recognition has really risen since the 1990s uh, with the kinds of debates that we are having about representation in the global south, feminism, post-colonialism, globalization in the art world. So she does seem more and more relevant to our world, uh, just as she was relevant to the world um, of the 1930s and 1940s. So, Nell, if you talk about her as part of the global south, for those of our listeners who may say, well, what do we mean by the global south? What is it that you would suggest is the best way to think about it? That is a great question and is one that many of us who are working through that term um, are uh, keen to engage, not as something that is resolved, but that is um, an idea information. In the 60s and 70s, artists and intellectuals, and actually I should say afterward as well, through the 1980s, organized uh, themselves around the, the, the term third world. Now, of course, this was not a term of the art world, but it was extremely influential in Latin America and South Asia for movements around uh, the visual arts and cinema in particular, 
uh, for the organization of the Havana uh, Biennial in the 1980s. And it seems to me that in some ways the Global South is uh, an inheritor of uh, the critical potential of that term. Now, that term was used uh, by nation states, by uh, development um, uh, experts, by city planners, and so on. And the way that artists and intellectuals use the term is somewhat different. And I think um, the Global South has some connection to that uh, legacy. Um, it's also, I think, a way of, in the 21st century, thinking about uh, solidarities, connections, um, contradictions of inhabiting uh, a post-colonial world, um, former colonized societies, uh, not only share and circle sense of colonialism, but also uh, a particular experience of the post-colonial nation state. And I think that's something that the, the term Global South is uh, attempting to capture. What are some of the conditions and contradictions of living within through colonialism and post-coloniality? I mean, I think what's kind of interesting about it is that this is a conversation that goes through many of the creative spaces. We were just talking about the book by Scholastique uh, Mukasonga, which talks about uh, Belgian colonialism. We talk about uh, going to India and looking at that. A little later, we'll also chat to Jay Pather, and I'm sure he'll raise those kinds of issues when we talk about the politics of space. What's interesting is that this does really tie together a lot of the debates around what we describe as the global south. Absolutely. And absolutely. And, you know, it does seem to me that it is a term that is uh, useful across the arts um, at this time, uh, across um, other um, uh, venues and forums for thinking. Uh, I teach at a university. Uh, I think that the work I'm doing uh, in and around the visual arts is connected to the work that colleagues are doing in anthropology and history. And it is my first visit to South Africa, um, but it does feel as um, uh, visits to other countries in the global south have felt like familiar. It seems like whether it's the architecture that we're encountering or the layout and organization of a city that is incredibly uh, uneven um, and yet um, incredibly vibrant. Um, I do think that there are uh, lots of ways in which our experiences in Asia and Africa and Latin America are interconnected, but that are often uh, mediated uh, or filtered through the global north. So the connection is often south to north rather than south to south. And I think the program at JCAP last week and many other projects uh, that I have uh, participated in or viewed from the outside are trying to think about how do we build South-South relations mm. uh, that, um, uh, that don't bypass the North, but that really take South-South uh, um, relation. And I'm not using the word harmony um, mm. or happiness, but South-South relation as their primary focus. You know, Prof, you mentioned something really interesting in your talk, and I think it was this that really started to make me think about how we think about female artists, but also the lexicon of female artists uh, in in the world. And when you talked about this artist, Amrita Shergill, she was described as um, one of the few women who can paint. And also she considered most women artists to be sentimentalists. And then there were critics in India who described her as one of the quote-unquote creative men 
of Indian art and the most masculine of Indian art. And it seems to me that as we look at this lexicon of female artists, there's a conversation around what we are expecting from female artists historically and, in fact, what they're actually doing. And I'm thinking of Frida Kahlo as well and Irma Stone, who are going to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. You know, there is a way in which I think the category of woman artist is um, is troubling, uh, especially for artists such as Shergill, who in her own lifetime, the words women um, or few women can paint uh, were her own. Yeah. Um, the words that you cited by other critics were the wor- words in which her work was received in the 1930s and afterwards for decades. So I do think that we should allow for our expectations of what is women's art or what is feminist art to be confounded. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there are lots of ways in which uh, Kahlo, Shergill, and Stern um, are connected to each other. I yeah. mentioned their interest in thinking through the problem of nation and empire, thinking through their own role as women in uh, institutions, salons, art schools, studios, and so on. Um, but I also think that we need to allow for the fact that their uh, lives and careers unfolded very differently, uh, that their success was um, varied, that their reputations have um, declined and risen and declined. So <laughs> I think that there's, yeah. uh, we have to make room for those kinds of uh, edges. And what I have actually described in an article that I wrote some years ago as failure. Uh, our failure as critics and audiences to recognize this work. Very briefly, if you had to describe a work of um, Amrita Shergill, obviously this is radio, always difficult, but perhaps you could just uh, describe one of the images. Certainly. Um, let uh, Let me describe an image that gets too little attention, but that I think of as one of her most significant uh, works of art. It's a lit work called The Bath, in which we see a female bather back to uh, the viewer, uh, taking pleasure in color, in water, in um, ordinary everyday objects, uh, pots and um, utensils that you might use uh, for a bath. It is a scene of a woman taking pleasure in her own body and um, in many ways uh, if not averting but then certainly confounding our expectations <laughs> of what a woman's bath is supposed to be about. Uh, it's a picture that's saturated uh, with color and in particular the color that Shergill loved most, red. Um it is a color that uh, she uh, attached a lot of significance to in a way that we might, which is to say it's the color of heat, of passion, of sex, um, of desire. But it's also a color that she, uh, she saw and she admired in historical painting. Yeah. So that's the work that I would uh, recommend that audiences um, think about. So in closing, you, you, her artworks, as you mentioned in your talk the other night, her artworks are in the New Delhi Museum of Modern Art. And I understand that her works can't be taken out of the country. And I thought this was a very potent uh, conversation around our national pride of our artists and our artworks. And perhaps it's something that as South Africans we need to engage with further. Talk to us about that briefly. 
Yes. So Shergill's work in 1972, along with three other male artists, were declared uh, the equivalent of national treasures. They cannot be sold, uh, which is to say they cannot leave the country permanently. The vast majority of her work is in the, nas- in the collection of the National Gallery of Modern Art in New Delhi. Yeah. And um, it, much of it is on, not all of it, but much of it is on display um, for audiences there. Um, it has traveled to exhibitions abroad. I've certainly seen Shergill's work in a major show in Germany. Uh, but yes, it is more difficult for that kind of work to be seen abroad. And it's one of the reasons, perhaps, as you and I discussed on Thursday, that her work is uh, less known than mm. um, other artists whose work circulates more freely. Um, on the other hand, Shergill is national legacy um, and inheritance for artists, critics, intellectuals, and others in India. So because the work is in the national collection and has received uh, a great deal of attention, really on par in some ways within India um, as many male artists, there's a way in which um, one can't make the same arguments about uh, marginality or marginalization um, so, you know, there's there's a contradiction there, that she's not a global icon, and yet she is very much a part of uh, uh, a national history of art. And artists since the 1940s have credited uh, many male artists, many male artists that you would not have expected to do so, uh, have credited her work with um, uh, as an inspiration for their practice. Sonal Kula, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Sonal Kula is uh, the Associate Professor of South Asian Studies in the Department of the History of Art in the University of Pennsylvania, and she was participating in something called the School of the Arts, uh, the School of the South Lecture Series. And this is in anticipation for an exhibition of three artists from the Global South, Frida Kahlo, Irma Stern, and in this case, Amrita Shergill. Her works uh, Amrita Shergill's works are extraordinary. She died at the age of 28, a very young age indeed. And uh, you may want to look her up online, A-M-R-I-T-A Shergill, S-H-E-R dash G-I-L, and take a good look at some of those artworks and how she was recognized both by the community of India, but globally as well. Lots of comments coming through. You guys are uh, really participating enormously on social media. Plenty of comments uh, with regards to the conversation around what we described as a question mark around resilience. What is resilience and how do we engage with it? And earlier we had Mark Lottering and uh, Lorenzo Lowe talking and you guys also commenting quite closely on that one. Then I see like uh, Kingsley saying, Dumeleng, Michelle and team, thank you so much for the wonderful review on the Lady of the Nile. It sounds like a gem and I'll definitely get my hands on a copy. I would urge you to get your hands on a copy. It talks to about uh, the country of Rwanda and its history in a way that is quite breathtaking and uh, at times seems so light. But as you know, and as you know with the history of Rwanda, it takes you into some of the mounting tensions and massive violence when nearly or over half a million people were killed in the country. And I believe that as South Africans, we should be following and listening to those stories and indeed learning from them as well. It's nine o'clock. It's time for the news. Good morning.